0: Good morning, Uh, the children are dismissed at this time, all except for mine, because uh, Grace told me that I can't mess up today, because I'm always messing up up here, so she gets to stay to make sure I don't mess up. I haven't messed up yet, Grace. (laughs) She's her father's daughter, what can I say? Well, if you could, uh, open with me to Chapter 6 in Ecclesiastes. Uh, first, I, I did want to make one more announcement, and that is next week, Richard Deal will be performing. So for Father's Day service, Richard Deal will be uh, playing the piano for us, and uh, it's always a special Sunday, so uh, be sure to make it here on Father's Day uh, for that treat. Now let's go to the word of Lord in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that uh, you are the God on high, that you are above all things, Lord, and that no matter how much we get caught up in the day-to-day of our lives, Lord, that you are above all of it, and you created us, and you love us, and you want a relationship with us, and that is why you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. We thank you for his sacrifice and for the payment of our sins on that cross, Lord. And we also praise you because you've set eternity in our hearts and that Jesus didn't stay in the grave, but that he rose again so that we may have eternal life with him. We praise you for this and just ask that you would be with us and you'd open our hearts To these words that will be spoken, may they not be mine, but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I I work downtown, and every day I go downtown. And every weekday there's hordes of people through the streets, coming from the train station, and everyone's got a focus. And everyone's focus is straight ahead and they wanna get from point A to point B, and at lunchtime, it's much the same. They're, they might be a little happier because they get a slight reprieve from their monotonous job, but they're focused, whether it's walking to a meeting or going wherever. But then there's a select few, and, and they seem to be different than the most, the hordes of people walking. They're slower, they're looking at everything, And they constantly have this gaze up like this. And they seem to be in a sense of awe of what they see. Meanwhile, they're a distraction or or an object in everyone else's way because everyone else is focused, looking horizontal, going to their job, getting the job done. And these people are in everybody's way. I'm sure you guys already know that I'm talking about tourists. And right now is tourist season in Chicago. And when you're focused getting your job done, they are in your way. But the same environment that they're in awe of, the rest of the world around them is oblivious to. No one's looking up. Have you ever stood at the foot of the Sears Tower and looked up? It's dizzying. It's so high. It should give you a sense of awe when you see it. Because it's a magnificent building. And same with all the other structures down there. And just the amount of people and all the sights and smells and everything of downtown. Yet everyone is callous to it. And everyone's got their vision horizontal. And so we come to Ecclesiastes. And and much in the same way, we have the the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who set out on a pursuit to find the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? And I've been preaching through this for now like three years. And I'm on chapter six. We're halfway there after today. (laughs) So you only have to hear about it for three or four more years. But he comes and throughout in chapter 1 he's he's giving you his thesis telling you where he's at and he's searching for the meaning of life and he concludes it by saying i can't find one under the sun i've looked horizontally and i can't see it and he he, he says i've looked at all of life's pursuits and none of them changed the state of humanity he's basing his Value of life off of whether it in some way redeems man from the fall. Because all of our troubles, all of our pain, all of our tears, all of our striving, all of our toiling comes from one place, and that's man's rebellion against God. Man thought that he could do it on his own, that he wanted to be like God. And so it created the fall. The Garden of Eden was closed off. There was animosity between husband and wife. Every bite of food Adam got was from sweat and tears and blood. And so here we are today, ten thousand years later. And although getting food's a little bit easier, it's still full of. Trials, it's still full of strife. So, none of life's pursuits under the sun has meaning. Chapter 2, he explores pursuing pleasure. He did it by building elaborate buildings and gardens and orchards and all that man's heart could desire. But it was fleeting, it only gave him momentary satisfaction. And he, had to pass, he was going to die and have to pass it on to somebody else. And then he searched it through foolishness, through just going out and having a good time, just pure, adulterous partying and having as, as much fun as you could possibly have. And he found that when he woke up, he was still just as miserable as the night before he started having fun. And then he explores in chapter 3, our entrapment in time. And that all of our activities, everything we do has its appropriate time. And one action may be wrong and sinful here at this time, but another time it could be appropriate. Because everything is, is, is proper in its time. And the only one that really knows if an action was done or your motives were right and that they were for God is God Himself. And that your actions will be brought to judgment. Chapter 4 went into the results of envy and the fact that the achievement of man and the accomplishments of man are driven out of our desire to have more than our neighbor has, and to achieve more, and to one up our neighbor, and that causes oppression from the people around us because we're, in essence, you're power hungry and you want to be, you want to be able to lord it over others that you have power. So power doesn't give you uh, meaning to life. And chapter five talks about wealth and greed and the desire to strive and to constantly work to accumulate things. And so now we're coming to chapter 6. And chapter 6 is somewhat of a transition. And the big idea of chapter 6 is that death is a constant, and blessings are to be enjoyed. So enjoy them while you can. And that God has given us enough to enjoy, so find freedom in being content. So, death shows that nothing is more pitiful than to be rich and unhappy. No amount of God given prosperity can make up for life without joy. So, this is a pretty heavy message. But let's read verses 1 through 6 here. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires. But God does not enable him to enjoy them, and a stranger enjoys them instead. This is a meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and may live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial. I say that a stillborn is better off than he It comes without meaning and departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun nor knew anything, it has more rest than does that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go the same place? So there's nothing more pitiful than a rich man that can enjoy the prosperity. We're all all in agreement. None of us feel like we're a rich man. But as I was going through this and I was looking at what are the conditions of wealth? And here it says in verse 3, a man may have a hundred children and live many years, but he still can't enjoy it. So wealth, children, longevity, it's a traditional conditions of happiness. Well, let's talk about wealth. I know you're going to be shocked but all of you are wealthy. All of you are wealthy. I know that not one of you in here is without servants. And you're looking at me and you're saying, "What are you talking about?" I know you I know that Maytag does your laundry. <laughs> and I know that Whirlpool does your dishes. And I know Frigidaire keeps your your groceries Nice and cool. And I know that Jewel bakes your bread for you. So all of you have servants. And in biblical times, that would be considered wealthy. None of you has to take a bucket of water and go down to the creek and fill it up and bring it back to your, to your kitchen. None of you has to pound out your carpets against a tree or you know, with rods because you have hoover. You know, you you are all wealthy. And and just, I can't take full credit for that because Tony Evans, I actually heard him preach that in uh, Proverbs 31. But I thought, how applicable is it that we do all have servants? In in terms of we may not feel wealthy compared to the 1% that we've heard a whole lot of, but hello, you are the 1% in terms of the world's population from beginning to end. You are wealthy. And you say, oh, but my life, I don't have a long life. The average life expectancy when this was written was about 35 to 45. Now the average life expectancy is somewhere in the high 70s. And women used to live less, their life expectancy was less than men because they would die during childbirth. You could have 12 kids and end up with two by the end. You know, we are wealthy. And you say that you don't have many children? Well, most of you, if you can have children, chose to stop. God didn't tell you you couldn't have any more. Even me, I am now stopping at six. (laughs) This is it. This guy, that he had 100, that's good for him. <laughs> but we are wealthy in terms of, of life. If you look at history, and you, not distant history, like just look back 100 years ago, they didn't have anything that we have in terms of wealth. Our houses are larger, our, our cars, our transportation is better. I don't have to sweep up after my transportation. And although I don't like feeding it, it's still cheaper than a horse. So we are wealthy. This verse, when you read this about the wealthy man, the pitiful wealthy man that could not enjoy the things that God has given him, that is you if you are not enjoying your life if you are not looking at the things that God gave you, if you are looking horizontal and looking outward and looking for more, you are the pitiful rich man. I am the pitiful rich man if that's my philosophy. And this really hit home with me. And one reason why I I stay so much in Ecclesiastes is because I need a constant reminder where my perspective is. Am I like the hordes going to work? Or am I like the tourist who's looking up in awe of what God has given me? You know, we are the rich man. And when it says here, that in verse 3 it says, um, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity, it really after that it really should say, even if it does not have a proper burial, I say to you, the stillborn is better off than he. The reason why the stillborn is better off than the rich man who who lived without enjoyment is because the stillborn didn't have the chance to live without enjoyment. This man has basically wasted his life away because he did not enjoy the things that God gave him. And when you read in verse 2 where it says that that God does not enable him to enjoy the things. This isn't God taking them away. This is the punishment that was brought onto Adam during the curse. And if you don't enjoy the things that God gives you, then someone else will. And God gave you that pers- he's gave us that for a reason so that we would realize we were finite. That we are not infinite, that we are less than God, and that we are dependent upon Him. And if we can't find enjoyment in what God has given us, we, right now, we will never find enjoyment because of our perspective. It's all about perspective. Death's sting is not lessened by wealth or wisdom. God gives the rich man and the poor man, the educated and the uneducated, the ability to be content. Verses 7 through 9. All man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. What advantage has a wise man over a fool? What does a poor man gain by knowing how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. All our efforts are for our mouth. This is an interesting passage. Basically, the Solomon is transitioning here. He's covered wealth for quite some time, and he's transitioning to wisdom. And he's saying, look, I think I've covered it, that wealth doesn't bring meaning to your life. And that if you can't enjoy what God is giving you, whether it's a little or a lot, you're not going to be able to enjoy life and find the true meaning of life no matter what. So wealth is of no meaning in this life. But he's not sure you get it that wisdom doesn't bring happiness or doesn't bring meaning. And you know what? I'm not sure we get it either. Look at today's today's environment. Everybody thinks that you have to go to college. Why? It's going to make your life better. I want my kids to, to, in order for your children to be happy, they really have to go to college. It's pushed upon us all day long. I can't tell you how many times I get asked when, I, when they learn I have six kids. It's, well, how are you going to afford college? You know what? I'll worry about that when it gets there, but that's not my first worry. This isn't a battle against educated or uneducated. This is a battle of perspectives. You know how much better off my kids will be if I give them a vertical perspective instead of a horizontal perspective? I think we're caught up in the wealth chasing. I think we're caught up in chasing knowledge and wisdom. Do I think college is good? Yes. Do I think it's necessary? No. I watched my parents. They, you know, own their own business. Neither one of them uh, graduated from college. My dad graduated from high school in summer school, so I'll tell you how good of a student he was. And you, you know what? They did fine. They struggled but my dad was able to retire early because we drove old cars and he didn't spend more than he had and he didn't pay for my college education although it was a little different time but i went to college because i had the opportunity to my brother didn't go to college because he wasn't college material he didn't that wasn't what interested him and he's doing fine you know we put too heavy of a price on knowledge and wisdom. Is it important? I think it's something you should do. Is it going to give you happiness? Is it going to make you enjoy life? Is it going to give you a better life? No, I don't think so. Will it give you more things? I I think it will. I just read a report the other day that said that your income over your lifetime if you graduate from college is 50% higher than if you don't. It didn't say how much happier the people were. It just said their income's more. You know what? The college-educated people I work with are just as broke as the non-college education. They just have more things to be broke with. We have parents mortgaging their homes, dipping into their retirement savings to pay for their children's education, and yet their children's perspective is off-kilter. What's the real problem? Do you think sending them to college is going to help with them enjoying life and getting the fullness out of life? No, it's not. It's whether they're looking above the sun instead of under the sun. So the appetite is always real, but it's never satisfied. Our appetite always craves. Knowledge, even though we could have wisdom and God's wisdom it still doesn't take away the craving of the appetite. You may be able to control it, but it's still there. That's what I was saying. I have to constantly read Scripture and keep in prayer to keep my perspective correct. And verse 8, what advantage has a wise man over a fool? What does a poor man gain by knowing how to conduct himself before others? It's just transitioning from the wealthy to the to wisdom. And the learned have real no significant advantage over the uneducated. Uh, Sound judgment and social skills are not much use to a poor man. Although they could help him. And we don't want to take wisdom, say wisdom doesn't have value, it does. But it doesn't necessarily change the outcome. And then verse 9. Better that the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So it's better to be satisfied with what you have than to continually be driven to obtain more. Now, I don't know how many of you know me well enough to know I, I'm a pretty driven guy. I, I work hard. I, my house I'm constantly working on it. I don't know why I throw money into the piece of junk, but I keep doing it. And, and Rebecca and I are, are always going, doing something new, trying something And sometimes I have to step back and say, what am I doing all this for? And it's a constant tension of me. And some of you have the opposite problem. You can't get off the couch. But that's not, that's not my problem. That's not, I mean, there's, I think we talked about that in another chapter. <laughs> if we hadn't, we will. But, but this is for the person who is driving hard. So how do we keep our perspective? Well, God helped us out. Death is our ultimate humility. God gives us death to be a constant reminder that we are finite and whatever we have has been given as a blessing. Verses 10 through 12. Whatever exists had already been named and what man has been is known. No man can contend with one who is stronger than he. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a man in life during the few and meaningless days he passes through like a shadow? Who can tell him what, was, what will happen under the sun after he is gone? This is actually a beautiful passage. And this passage is one reason why I wish I knew Hebrew. But if you look in, in verse 10, it has the word man. And that's, a, that, that's the Hebrew word adam. Adam. And it's a direct reference back to chapter 2 and 3 of Genesis, the creation and the fall. And basically, what God, what Solomon is saying here is that in verse 10, whatever exists had already been named. Who named all the animals? Adam. Good job. and that process of naming he was given dominion over the entire world he saw every animal passed by him and he named that animal think about that we i just got an, a friend sent me kind of it was we were doing it in a jokingly manner but my former employer had sponsored some rainforest preservation or something and they discovered a new species of frog and they they named it kind of after the, the company. And so we were kind of joking around about that's where the bonus money went is to this name of this frog, you know. But they're all excited about naming a new species. Hello, Adam already did. You know, Adam had already named these animals. He 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 saw he had dominion over the entire world. It was taken away from him, but he had it. And then... It says later on in 10, "...and what man is has been known. No man can contend with the one who is stronger than he." That's in reference to Adam wanting more knowledge. He wanted to know what God knew. And so he ate from the forbidden fruit of good and knowledge. Knowledge of good and evil. Right? He wanted... He contended with God. In other words, he went around God to get God's knowledge because he wanted to be like God. But you know what he found out? Is that even though God had created Adam with eternity in his heart, and if you go back to uh, Third chapter 3, verse 11, it says, He also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The, the issue of creation... Adam didn't worry about that. He knew he wasn't evolved. He didn't have to worry about evolution. He had all the answers to his questions. When he had a question, you know how sometimes you go, man, I wish I could just ask God that. He could in the afternoon when God walked with them in the garden. Adam had all the knowledge we could ever want. But he wanted more. The craving of the eye, the, the appetite constantly wants more he wanted that and he contended with God to get it and where did it get him he found out that although eternity was set in his heart that he was still finite he was not eternal he was not infinite like God he was a finite creature that God had created that's where knowledge gets us Death is the reminder that we are finite. Death is the ultimate humiliator that causes us to look up, to change our perspective from horizontal to vertical. For who knows what is good for man in life? During the few and meaningless days he passes through like a shadow. Who can tell him what will happen under the sun? So Adam contended with God for the knowledge of good and evil. He wanted more knowledge. And there was still, after eating the forbidden fruit, there was no one that could tell Adam what was to come next except who? God. You know, all the things that God has given us, it's just like Adam. We have all these things just like Adam did. And if you're a Christian here today and you've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and His resurrection, you, have, you even have eternal life. You have a relationship with God just as Adam did. And although your circumstances may be a little more oppressive than what Adam's were in the Garden of Eden, Paul still exhorts us in Philippians to be like him. And although he was shackled in chains in prison, he found joy in all circumstances. And he took the little things that God gave him and he found enjoyment. He found things to rejoice over. And so I exhort you today to not look at all the things you want or life would be better if you just had this one more thing, but to get on your hands and knees and to repent of a mindset of a horizontal perspective and to look vertical. And thank God for the things you do have. Because they can be taken away very quickly. Even what little we do have. We are not a poor society. We are not poor people. We are wealthy. We are wealthy financially. We are wealthy based on uh, our long life. We are wealthy spiritually Beyond belief, we have a treasury that can give and give and never stop giving. God's love is merciful, it's endless, and we've been given it. Don't, don't be one of the hordes walking to work, from meeting to meaning. I say, take a couple steps and look up and be a tourist every once in a while. I want the world to see a difference in you, and myself, because I get caught up in this too. I want the world to be able to say, that guy's different, he's in my way, and he's annoying. (laughs) That's why I I want the world to say that about us. And I hope the world does say that about us, that our perspective is different. Why are they always looking up? Haven't you seen that building before? Haven't you seen that sky before? Why does he keep talking about this God? Why does he have a joy that I don't have? Why does he live in this small house and drive an old car, but he seems a lot happier than me? You see, that's a change in perspective. So let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your word is here to edify and to build up. And even though your message uh, in Ecclesiastes here comes off as rather sober, somber, and kind of depressing, Lord, the second part of this is not in the Old Testament, but the New Testament. And that is, we have a Redeemer. The one promised to Adam during the fall. The one promised to Eve who is going to step on the head of the serpent. He has come. He has paid our price on the cross. He has redeemed man. And we can live a life of redemption or we can live a life of depression. And it's all up to us on perspective. And I just pray that we'd have a perspective of redemption that we would look up and we wouldn't look down. That we'd stop looking ahead and we'd start seeing what we have right in front of us. I pray for all of us a proper perspective and I pray that we would start enjoying the things that we have and not worrying about the things that we don't have. We pray that we'd come before you, Lord, and humble ourselves And admit that we are finite creatures in need of a Savior. Your Son, Jesus Christ. And in His name, Amen.